David, we recently passed the mark for the first 100 days of the Biden-Harris administration. What a, what's your initial sort of reaction to the administration and how it's starting? Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's, it's probably delivered fairly well on where, what it wanted to deliver. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure you would agree with me that uh, the new administration came in with an understanding that it, first and foremost, it had to deal with COVID. Second and foremost, it had to deal with COVID. Third and foremost, it had to deal with COVID. And nothing else really mattered if we couldn't get the pandemic under control. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would. I mean, and I think we should talk a little bit about where we are now with the response to the, the COVID-19 pandemic, both in the United States and, and abroad. And, and I think the, the other point I would make, which is, is I think the administration felt pretty strongly about what I'll call a, a tonal shift, that they, they very much wanted to change the tone of the federal government and the president and really wanted it to be about, um, you know, more around policy actions than sort of individual comments on sort of specific events, et cetera. And so that's been interesting just to sort of see how that shift has occurred over the last couple of months. It has. It, it's very it's very interesting to watch the um, the daily press conference that's at the White House uh, and uh, Jen Psaki, uh, the press secretary at the White House, um, just really in a very different way, um, just not taking the bait and going into the back and forth between, you know, between different sides and between those people who um, do not support Biden. It's just been a very interesting way in which to go. And you're right. They really decided to, like, make their statements to policy. COVID being being the number one thing, getting to, you know, getting to the numbers of individuals who at least had one shot um, has had has been kind of amazing when you really think about where we were three or four months ago. Um, and it was it was just hard to imagine that we would be going into May or we'd be in May and, and that we really would actually be this far along. Um, and then they, they really helped us out. And just, I would say that they did help us out as we pushed, ASN pushed, and members of the kidney community pushed, because everyone did, to get a federal allocation of the vaccine directly to dialysis patients in dialysis facilities, which I think was a really big deal. But you're right. Now we have to deal with kind of where are we in that fight and where are we in it globally because we're not isolated. And you and I just recently worked on some of that with the rest of the leadership of ASN. Um, why don't you just kind of introduce that subject? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's, it's interesting because because you know one thing the administration's done, and this gets to this tonal shift, is they've set achievable goals and then if they surpass those goals say with with the number or percentage of the population vaccinated they kind of move the goals again and so there's constantly this sense of um, you know it's probably the the um, the policy policy making equivalent of a participation trophy in the sense that you're you're constantly sort of hitting um, these milestones and so there, there's a sense of momentum that, that that's real in terms of making progress but also probably emphasized in a slightly different way than the alternative which is to set a very ambitious goal that you may not set and then you're you're constantly kind of having that discussion so I think just from a from a communications perspective that's been really interesting um, in terms of your question about the um, communication related to the broader strategy so 
so what we've done as an organization is is contacted the administration and and, and really said, okay, given the progress you've made um, here in the United States, it's really time to to be a leader more globally. Um, we provided data that are that are well known and heartbreaking about what's happening in, in other parts of the world um, and just the level of, of disease burden, the number of cases, the number of deaths, the, the, the lack of vaccine and supplies and just real, just terrible situations throughout the world. And, you know, this concern that if, you know, you cannot address a global pandemic in one place, it needs to be a, a worldwide strategy. And so, you know, after making that case and explaining sort of why we think it's so important, you know, we had a couple of very specific asks and, and, you know, at the highest level possible, you know, the first was, you know, really encouraging the administration to work with the World Health Organization and other international organizations to, to control the spread of the virus through public health measures. And, you know, again, we just have to keep going back to, we know what works and, and, and emphasizing that, doing everything possible to make sure that gets communicated. The second was identifying and providing supplies urgently to those countries that, that um, have a, a lot of, of, of sick people. And, um, you know, oxygen seems to be a real challenge. So what can we do, you know, as the United States to, to help there? The third was then coordinating with other countries around a global solution to the vaccine access and, and really trying to get vaccines um, to as many places as possible. And I, it's interesting because, you know, I think the, the model of how the kidney community came together and how the dialysis organizations worked with the patient organizations, with ASN, with the government, to really um, try to allocate um, specific vaccines to the dialysis population and staff. That is a model for, you know, what we can do when we work together and, you know, what role does the United States have in terms of, of sort of global vaccine distribution and let's accelerate that as quickly as possible. We then sort of shifted a little bit in terms of, um, our fourth request to the administration was really focusing on the kidney community. I think the good news is, given their response to um, what we'd asked uh, related to the dialysis population here, is to think, okay, what can we do with people with kidney diseases, with kidney failure, with kidney transplants at a global level? And then finally, um, you know, there were issues around sort of trade prote protections in, in the administration as, you know, after we had sent the letter, and, you know, I think these were obviously on, on separate courses, but this issue around making sure that, that we handle those issues as well. And there's a lot of, you know, interesting implications that we can get into today or at a future date. So those were the, the five asks and, and, you know, I've been really impressed with their receptivity to those. And, you know, my hope is we, there's more we can continue to do at a global level so that we can, get, you know, put this pandemic behind us. Absolutely. We, we were looking at the hotspots regionally. Um, we, we realized that India was very, very much on the minds of many of our listeners and it's very important. Um, but the catch was the other regions of the globe. It just it, it, the numbers just are are making very clear. The United States cannot protect its citizens um, if we're not actually bringing the rest of the world along with us in the vaccination effort. It will just be constantly developing new variants that we're always trying to stay two steps ahead of. Um, so it's it's really it's really important that this be done. And I know that, that probably our listeners are they're 100 percent behind this, um, but it really is kind of a moment to say this is this can't stop at our borders. Wouldn't you agree? I would, and I think it it provides a transition in terms of as we think about the first 100 days, you know, one of the challenges the administration has had is 
been the southern border of the United States and, and thinking about immigration policy. And obviously the, the Vice President Harris has been assigned responsibility for trying to think creatively about ways to address a lot of the, the challenges at the border. I'm just sort of curious as to, as you've been looking at what's been going well, and you mentioned the COVID-19 response, um, what are some other examples of things that have been going well, and then examples of some challenges like the situation at the border? Well, the situation at the border has, has been very tragic and has definitely, um, I think, kind of taken the new administration a bit off message and, and actually thrown a bit of a curveball to deal with. Um, and I hope that does get resolved sooner rather than later. Um, I think that uh, probably, you know, the things that you can look at is, I mean, they did manage to get the almost $2 trillion package for COVID relief done in the first 100 days. Uh, they did use the reconciliation process, as we both know and have talked about before. Um, and they are discussing and trying to find agreement on an infrastructure package, which will also be an interesting to watch uh, situation because the administration has really defined uh, infrastructure in a much broader way than I think the more traditional individuals, the more traditional view of just bridges and roads. Um, so I think that's been really important. Uh, they've gotten they've gotten their secretary of HHS, in, you know, in in place. We have Andrea Palm, who's been confirmed to be deputy secretary of HHS. Um, we have Dr. Rachel Levine, who's been deputy secretary for health, confirmed. Um, we have uh, Liz Fowler in place at CMMI, the Innovation Center for CMMI, uh, which we'll get to in a minute because we're going to talk about a little bit of, about where the models stand uh, in this new administration as we go forward. Um, so th those, they've got a lot of different pieces put there, and they have clearly placed a marker on every aspect of the federal government, but it's going to be big lift in HHS, which is to address equity and for each agency uh, to look at where there are barriers to the programs and the efforts that they have uh, to various groups, and that's just really an important point. Um, and I also, I just have to give my compliments to Dr. Rachel Levine, um, who is the highest ranking uh, transgender individual openly in, um, that's ever been appointed and confirmed by the Senate in the United States. And so uh, I think that was a fantastic step forward um, in, in terms of equity. Just to pick up on the issue of equity and to provide a, a concrete example. So, so one of the things ASN was asked to do was to comment on Ways the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, which is the federal government's health services research arm, um, how that agency could do more to address issues around um, disparities and, and inequities, and, and specifically around how we assess kidney function and the you know current inclusion of race in that assessment and. As, as everyone knows, ASN and, and the National Kidney Foundation have been working together through a task force for that will put forward recommendations soon on, on how to remove the, the, the sort of race coefficient, if you will, from, from that estimate. So that was part of the questions and sort of where um, ARC, as the agency is known, is, is going. So that's just one example of where the administration is trying to, to focus on these issues. Yeah, and, and ARC was very... Uh, open-ended and really did open the door for discussion about how that uh, th that factor occurs in 
in a lots of parts of, of medicine. Um, but I do think that nephrology and, and the, and how that works with the calculation of your kidney functions, um, is one of the, the areas that people wanted to hear from, uh, us and hear from other members of the kidney community about. Um, and our listeners can go to the ASN website and read, uh, that comment letter that we did provide to ARC. And also included with that, it's, it's just uh, all in one place, but it's also uh, on the record is the interim report that the, uh, the, the NKF and ASN task force worked on that you just referenced and several other pieces. So it has been an ongoing conversation that ASN has been trying to trying to get his hands around, not trying, excuse me, with the ASN really trying to lead the discussion about how we deal with um, these various factors, um, particularly in like calculation of kidney function. So, so David, let's shift gears to the, to the, regulatory branch and really talk about some of the things that are happening at the Department of Health and Human Services and in sort of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and just other aspects of sort of how the administration is trying to address issues either related to COVID-19 or, you know, the millions of Americans with kidney diseases and kidney failure. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to talk about there. Um, and there's there are things that relate to kidney and things that relate more generally but um, just, there are things that uh, actually we've, we've seen a lot of talk about uh, what the items the administration has gone into and tried to reverse from the previous administration. There really hasn't been as much focus on things that are either ongoing or, or, or basically the administration has allowed to continue going uh, and supported. And those things are very, very important um, in the kidney field. So, for example, there was a long, long battle for several years uh, about a, a, a rule that would govern how the organ procurement organizations were really being evaluated. And so you could really judge whether they had improvement, they'd collected more organs, and how efficiently that system was working. And um, it was a very, uh, it was a, a very difficult conversation, and there were a lot of people who had concerns. Uh, ASN did support this move uh, very strongly. And so it had gotten delayed, uh, as many things that got delayed uh, when the new administration took over, if they weren't in effect already, to give them a chance to review it. But one of the things that I think has gotten, you know, has gotten lost is the number of these that they have allowed to continue on. And so that one continues on, and it is now in effect. And so we are going to be looking at some very different, transparent, independent metrics for the organ procurement organizations, which means a lot, uh, a, a whole lot to, to all of the kidney patients who would like to get a, a kidney transplant and are healthy enough to do so. Um, and so the longer, as, as our listeners know, the longer they wait on dialysis, the less likely it is that they will be able to be healthy enough to get that transplant. And one of the areas to most increase the availability of organs is, is in deceased donation. And this is really what this is all about. It's really important. And I think the fact that the administration let it go forward also um, signals that the next step is probably going to, they're going to be supportive as well, we hope, which is the next step is to go and work on some of these similar issues with the transplant centers. Um, and that is equally important to make sure that we don't have disincentives in the way we have structured policies that don't produce the results that we need, which is more organs, more kidneys, and more transplants. So one of the questions I've had about all the 
kind of transplant-related policy issues and sort of what's happening at the regulatory level. What's the time frame here? So you just at a very, it's sort of 30,000 feet, if you were to walk through the major changes that will will occur and are likely to occur, just help us out in terms of when those should take, you anticipate those taking place. Well, uh, on the OPOs, I think you could really see around um, 2023, 2024, um, you would probably start to see really some, uh, you, well, you will see some changes right away. But I think you'll really begin to see the uh, effects of a new evaluation system and a little bit more clarity in terms of what OPOs, how they're performing and what they're reporting. Uh, and they will now be pointing, reporting consistently the same metrics um, as different from what was happening before. When you really are going to see the rubber hit the road is around 2025 and 2026. And that's when you could start to see either some real big improvement or you could also see some OPOs that have not improved uh, being placed in a situation where they have a limited amount of time to improve or possibly lose the contract that they have. Uh, we're not lobbying for anyone to lose contracts. Uh, this is designed to be an opportunity for all of the OPOs to improve uh, and us just to provide more organs um, for those patients out there who really desperately, desperately need them. So I think that's really um, what you'll really see. And there was a hearing last week on Capitol Hill so, uh, where they really did try to focus on this, the timeliness of this rule. Um, and there are those who want to push it up and they want you to see those dates happen sooner. Um, but the, the members of the oversight committee in the House clearly were not in the mood to talk about further delay. They were completely not in the mood to hear that. They wanted to know how fast the, the OPOs could move and um, what would be reasonable to be expected. And so that, that was just a really powerful hearing last, um, excuse me, recently. Well, David, I really appreciate your taking the time today and, and I hope you continue to stay healthy and safe. Same to you and your family, Todd.